Our scripture today comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading with verse 25. But to begin with, I just want to put it into perspective. And I often feel this way when I come to 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. How does all this fit in together? Where does it come? And what should we be thinking about all of these things? Well, just, let's just kind of go back and do a little quick survey of, of, of world history in, the, in a way that is usually not done. Think about the time of Abraham, about 2000 B.C., maybe 1800 B.C., so 4,000 years ago. God called a man by the name of Abraham who lived in what we now know as Babylon, Ur of the Chaldees, and he revealed himself to him, and Abraham was the original Jew, the original Hebrew. Until then, there were no Hebrews. God called Abraham to leave his home, to go to a land he had never seen, and God was faithful and led him. And Abraham confronted the culture of his day, of people who did not know God and never heard of God. You, you fast forward about 600 years to the time of Moses. Moses is in Egypt. The people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And God says to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But the people of Israel didn't know the Lord. They said to, to Moses, you're going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go, that God has said, what's his name? And he confronted the culture of his day. And then you go a couple of hundred years later, actually shorter than that, you come to the time of Joshua. And Joshua followed the command of God and led, out, led his people out to take the land. And then David, and then Solomon, and all of these confronted the culture of the day. You would think that when you go from Abraham all the way down to Solomon, a thousand years, that things are going to get better. And they did get better. More people knew God. You would think that in our day, things would be better, and they are better. There are, no, there are more people right now, today, this very day, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, lifting up his name, than have ever done so in the history of the world. So why does it feel so different? Maybe it's because... For us, we are confronting the culture of the day differently than we've ever seen in our lifetime. And the older the, you are, the stranger it seems. How do we confront the culture of our day? Well, I want you to see a man by the name of Elijah, who did this in a very unique way. 
and did this in a time much more difficult than the time that you and I live in. Because this is about 850 B.C. So just remember, what does that mean? It means 2,850 years ago. The people of Israel had had David as a king. They'd had Solomon as a king. Israel grew to its greatest boundaries. They were wealthier than they'd ever been before. They were larger than they'd ever been before. They were more powerful than they'd ever lived before. And when Solomon died, Israel and Judah divided and they became two nations, Israel with Samaria, its capital, and and Judah with Jerusalem and its capital. And for whatever reason... The people of the northern kingdom in many ways fled away from God and they started worshiping the gods of the land, the Baal gods. The Baal gods were known for many things, but here are the two things that stand out to you about it. Number one, they used sexual uh, immorality as a part of their worship. There were religious prostitutes in the in the worship of the Baal gods. The second thing that was so prominent was that they offered children as infant sacrifices to their gods. No wonder that Elijah speaking for God called it an abomination. No wonder that that we are called to be faithful and obedient to God in all ways and in everything. So God called Elijah to stand in a time of unfaithfulness, to speak out in a time when nobody else spoke out, to be faithful to God and to speak the word of God and to confront the culture of his day. So God raised up Elijah. By the way, the name means my God is the Lord. And it is very likely that in the Israel of his day that many people named their children Elijah because they were worshiping the Baal gods. Or maybe they worshiped the gods of Baal and the Lord God together and just thought that the more gods they had, the better off they were. And Elijah went to Ahab and Jezebel, the king and the queen of Israel. Ahab was a Hebrew. Jezebel came from the surrounding territory. She worshiped the Baal gods. She introduced Baalism into Israel and put the power of the throne of Israel behind the Baal gods. And into that kind of situation, Elijah came speaking the word of the Lord. Ahab came to Elijah and said, what are you doing here, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah spoke to the king and said, I am not the one troubling Israel, but you are. 
And Elijah proposed that they finally bring everything to a head and let's ask who the Lord, who God really is. And that brings us to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 25. Notice what it said. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, by the way, there were 450 prophets of Baal. They were supported by Jezebel. There were 400 prophets who, who uh, worshipped the Asherah, which was kind of a totem pole of some kind. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it. Elijah said, we'll have two altars. We'll have two bulls. We'll sacrifice those bulls to our God. And whichever God brings fire from heaven, we will say this is the one true God. So choose one of the bulls, prepare it. Since there are so many of you, you go first. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, six hours. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But look at, look at verse 26. These are, this is, in a sense, the heart of what is being said. They, they cry out to their God, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God, you say he is. So perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he needs to be awakened. Shout Louder. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as there was custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying. In your international versions, trying to make this clear to you and me, the Hebrew word is they raved. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So they've gone from early in the morning to late in the afternoon. But there was no response. No one answered. And no one paid attention to them. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down because it hadn't been used. No sacrifices made to the God of Israel. No worship of the God of Israel. Earlier, if you go back and read early in chapter 18, Elijah comes before the people, and he says, the Lord is God, and you're to worship the, God, the Lord God alone. And they said nothing. They were, they were torn between two gods. There was no real worship of God happening. So he said, come here 
and he repaired the altar. And he took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two containers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water poured on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time. And they did it the third time. The water in a dry and thirsty land ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now, look, look at the contrast here. What are the prophets of Baal doing? First of all, there are 450 of them. There's only one Elijah. 450 prophets of Baal, and so they are beating themselves, and they are limping. That's what the Hebrew says. They are limping around the altar, and they are shouting out to Baal, and they are raving in their prophesying, and they are cutting themselves, trying to get the Baal gods to hear and to bring fire from heaven. And there is no answer, and there is no response, and no one paid attention. You and I know why, but they don't know why. But what does Elijah do? He doesn't cut himself. That would be forbidden in Israel. He doesn't limp around the altar. He doesn't prophesy. He doesn't shout out. He simply prays to the God of Israel. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you for renewal and revival. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, and it was such great fire, almost... Obviously, it's, it's miraculous, unless you call it a lightning strike. The fire was so intense that it burned up the rock and even the soil, and it, and it lapped up the water, dried up the water. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And so Elijah, at the work of God, confronted the culture of the day. And God has called you and me to do the same. But in greater ways than Elijah, because we have the Spirit of God within us. So how do we confront the culture of the day? 
Let's look at this passage and let's figure what God wants us to do. Number one, you live according to God's word. That's the thing that is so evident about Elijah. Elijah's not doing this on his own. He's not doing what seems right unto him. He's not do doing what he thinks best. That's the way you and I work. Let me see if I can figure it out. I'll come up with an answer. He's not looking for an answer within himself. He is looking an answer that comes from God himself. He is looking to live according to God's word. And the only way that you and I can be effective in confronting the culture of our day, a culture that was very similar to Paul's day in Corinth, to Elijah's day in Samaria, to Moses' day in Egypt, to Abraham's day when he called him from Babylon, the only way that we can be effective is to hear the word of the Lord and live according to the word of the Lord. What does God say? What does God want? What does God want me to do? How does God want me to live? What does God want me to do with this one brief life that he's given unto me? That's the question that we must ask. That's the question that we need to know. God, what do you want me to do and what do you want me to say? When we live according to God's word... We get God's way. I love Isaiah 55. He who is thirsty, let him come and drink. God gives him. Let him who is hungry come and let him receive bread without buying because God gives it. And it's in that passage of Scripture that God says, because your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts, because my ways, it only makes sense, doesn't it? The God who created the universe, if there are 200 billion galaxies, the one who created them all, the one who names the stars by name, the one who created the world and and put it to work and created you and me, the one who knew you before you were formed in the womb, that God, of course, his ways are greater than our ways and his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And when we live according to God's word, we, get, we receive what he can do rather than receive what we can do. It should be instructive to all of us that, that Elijah didn't create fire or try to create fire, that Elijah didn't try to do it himself, but he cries out to the God who called him and the God who set him apart. And he brought fire from heaven because he lived according to God's ways. When we live according to God's ways and according to his word, then we receive the blessings of his word. If you, if you follow along a little bit farther in Isaiah 55, you come to that very famous passage of scripture where God says, my word will go out and it will accomplish exactly what I've proposed it to do. 
it will not return unto me empty or void, but it will accomplish my purpose. What a tremendous promise that is. That when we live according to God's word and we speak according to God's word and we witness and pray according to God's word, God is at work within his word. When we, when we quote scripture, when we tell other people scripture, God is at work and that word does not return empty, but it accomplishes his purpose. What a wonderful thing when we live according to God's word. And so there's a call for you and me. This is what, if you were going, every now and then, you know, you'll go home and there's somebody who didn't come to church today and, and they'll want to know the answer. Well, what was the sermon about? I always like to know what the sermon is about. Sometimes I have to think myself, now, what is the central idea? So what I want to do, if somebody asks you what was the sermon about, I want to give you the answer. Here's what the sermon is about. Here's what Elijah is about. Here's what Elijah was saying to the people of Israel. It is time for the people of God to be the people of God. It is not time for us to sit back and do nothing. It's not time for us to put our heads down. It is not time for us to be quiet. It is time for the people of God to be the people of God. And the people who are closest to you more than anybody else, need you to be the person of God. A second thing that we need to do is we need to look for allies and encouragers. Everybody here, including me, needs encouragement. Everybody here, including me, needs allies. Everybody here, including me, needs people around them. This is God's plan. Why did God create the church? You ever think about that? There is no such thing as the church of the Old Testament. It didn't exist. Jesus created the church. There's no, although the media often describes some, some group or the other as a church of some kind, the only way you can be the church is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus and exalt him and lift up his name. He created the church. The church is his. He is the one who, to whom it belongs, and the church is here for a reason. Why do we gather together as the people of God? Why is it? that up to 2 billion people around the globe are worshiping right now, although in different time zones, worshiping the Lord God and exalting him because God created the church and we need one another and we desperately need one another. Look at what Elijah did. Elijah found a man by the name of Obadiah. Obadiah means the servant of the Lord. What a great name. Not many people of that time in Israel named their children the servant of the Lord. 
It's only faithful parents who name the children, my God is Yahweh, or I am the servant of the Lord. So there weren't many Obadiahs in 850 B.C. There was one about 600 B.C. We know him because there is a prophecy by his name. Two different men. This Obadiah is living for God in the worst of places. I simply cannot think of a worse place to try to live for God than in the kingdom of Ahab and Jezebel within the administration of Ahab been Jezebel because what was Jezebel doing? She was doing everything she could to kill every prophet of the Lord. She was trying to starve them down. She was having them starve them out. She was having them hunted down and killed. And what was Obadiah doing? Man, everybody needs an Obadiah. Every church needs an Obadiah. Every family needs an Obadiah. Obadiah was doing everything he could to please God and serve God, even at the cost of his own life. When we see people who are willing to live for God, even at the cost of their own life, then we start getting it. And every family needs that person. And every teenage group needs that person. And every church needs a lot of those people so that we can be faithful unto him. So Obadiah was taking the prophets of the Lord and hiding them by caves and secretly bringing them food to eat and taking care of them. And Elijah and Obadiah worked together. They were allies. They were there together. We all need allies. We, we need allies at school. We need allies at work. We need people who can encourage us, and we need people that we encourage. And when you identify those people at school who serve the Lord and who honor God and who want to live for God, you need to encourage them. You need to pray for them. You need to let them know that you are praying for them because everybody needs allies. You see that through Scripture. When Jesus sent out disciples two by two, he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to preach the good news. And you're going to go throughout Judea and Samaria preaching the gospel. And you're going to go into a village and you're going to look for a man of peace. Now, we don't know exactly what is meant by a man of peace, but I think we can all see it in our lives. Somebody who wanted to serve God, somebody who had a heart for God, somebody who was willing to be an ally. When Paul went to Corinth, Corinth was one of those crossroads of the world. Everybody in business eventually went to Corinth. Most of the traffic and the commerce around the world went through Corinth in southern Greece. And as far as we know, when Paul went there, there was not one Christian in the whole large city. No church. No Christians. 
And it was as pagan as any place has ever been. It was as pagan as the world in which you live. And God came to Paul in a prayer, and he said, Paul, don't be afraid to preach the gospel here. And then this is what it said. I can't explain this. I can just marvel in it. God said, for I have many people in this city. And I assume it means people whom God had chosen, whom God had prepared, in whom God was at work. I have many people in this city. I promise you we need allies and encouragers. And when we open ourselves to God, we will find those kind of people who are there to bless us and help us. Sometimes you and I look at life and we think, why did I have to live during this time? I think we need to look at it differently. I think God knew when you were going to live and when I'm going to preach. And God has trusted us with this time to live according to his word. What do we do? We confront falsehood with truth. You've been given truth, and you're the only one who can speak it. You've been given the truth of the gospel. You know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is imperative that we confront falsehood with the truth. Now, I love 1 Peter 3.15. And I've quoted it to you so many times. I hope you can quote it now. Always be prepared. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. But do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, be kind, be respectful, treat other people the way you want them to be treated. But being kind doesn't mean to be timid. And to be kind doesn't mean to be quiet. It means to, to speak the word of God by the power of God and in the spirit of God so that you share with others the truth that they need and the truth that maybe you are the only person who can give it to. Maybe you're the only one that they will receive it from. Be kind, but don't be timid. It's not unkind to speak truth. It's not unkind to tell God's word. It's not unkind to help people know how to live so that they live better in this world and so that they live with God in, the, in eternity. That is not unkind. That is the greatest Kindness. It is time for the people of God to be the people of God. It is time for people who know the truth to speak the truth. And we need to say God's word. Don't, don't bow before Baal. To be quiet. is to bow before Baal. We need to confront falsehood with the truth. The fourth thing we need to do is to seek God with 
all our heart to wrap ourselves up in him and to hold him close and dear in our hearts and our lives. And, and here's what will happen. Your family will be blessed because of it, and you will be blessed because of it, and you will live with less anxiety and more peace, and you will experience the love that can only come from God himself, and you will experience an amazing joy and a, a peace that is beyond any comprehension when we, when we seek God with all our heart. What you and I need to remember is this is not about me and it's not about you. It wasn't even about Elijah, although we certainly hold him in great esteem and we should hold him in great esteem. But that wasn't about Elijah. It wasn't what, about what Elijah could do. It was what God could do through him. So he doesn't cut himself. He doesn't limp around the altar. He doesn't shout out to Baal. He doesn't doesn't go on for hours, he takes a two-minute prayer and he says, God, please answer me and bring fire so that all these people, those who worship Baal and won't follow you, but particularly those who are Israelites who would follow you, that they may know that you are God. And that's what we have to do. What, what did Simon Peter say? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And what he meant was we must bow down before God and we must seek God with all of our heart and we must repent of our sins. I know that there are people right now who are struggling to have one foot in, in the world and one foot in the church. Maybe you're that person, and you are struggling. And the pressure of the world, the pressure of your friends, the pressure of society, the pressure of a godless culture. Do you really want to be a part of a godless culture? Do you really want to be without the power of God in your life? If you are struggling with that, what God wants you to do is to submit, to seek God with all your heart. To say, God, I can't do this on my own and you're going to have to work within me. Elijah was looking for revival and renewal. And God today in his church, in this church, is looking for revival, for renewal, for submission, for us to bow down before God and to give our lives unto him. Famous evangelist said, the world is waiting to see what can happen when one person gives himself totally to God. And he said, God, I want to be that person. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Seek what God can do. 
When Elijah did that, do you know what the people said? Remember, at the beginning, they said nothing. They weren't going to take a side. They're just like your friends at school. No, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of God, and I'm going to have a little bit of the world, and I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to speak up for God, and I'm not going to say anything. And the people of Israel, of all things, the people of Israel, who didn't exist apart from God, didn't speak up for God. So Elijah confronts the culture of the day and he prays unto God, and God brings fire from heaven. And what did the people do? The people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You do, do you think people don't need leaders? Do you think people don't need people who will stand before the world and be faithful unto God? People need leaders, and people will follow us when they see God working in our lives. Don't be, don't be sad when people say, why in the world do you follow God? There's your opportunity. And when they say, how can you be so happy in all the things that are going on? Please don't miss your opportunity. People need to hear because our God hears and responds and answers. And he will for you, and he will for me, and he will for us. So what does God want? That's pretty simple, isn't it? God wants us to be renewed, to be revived. God wants us to repent. What, what would repentance look like? God, I've been one of those people who has tried to have a foot in the world and a foot in the church. I don't want to do that anymore. God, I turn my back on that, and I want to come to you. What would repentance look like? It would be what you are struggling with where you say to God, God, I want you and I want only you in my life and I I want help I want your blessing and maybe you would come and pray with a pastor or pray here at the front what would this look like it would let those of you who have never trusted Christ who are sitting on the fence going to church but apart from God saying to God openly I give myself to you and I follow you with all my heart and I confess you as my Lord and my Savior so we have an invitation time in which we invite you to do all of those things and I pray that there would be a great outpouring of God's Spirit upon His people and His church as we say unto God God I want you and you alone in my life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Elijah and Obadiah, our allies from ancient times, our encouragers, our examples. God, would you speak to our hearts now through the word that came from Elijah, but that came from you about what you want us to do. God, would you draw people to yourself to confess you as Lord and Savior? Would you grow Christians who are ready to be revived and renewed? Would you bring all of us to a closer relationship with you? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, please. It's